Yes, I know when. Yes, I know how. A black Arias coming to the shore. Coming to scream. Twenty to three. Hallelujah. The girls are mad. Eyes tinted green. And they, they're jealous. Why? <laughs> because Hallie Bailey will be gracing our screens May 26, 2023, starring in the new Little Mermaid, Ariel, A Black Tail. I want to talk about it. Let's get inside Lynn Spence. So I would like to start off by wishing Hallie Bailey an overwhelmingly amazing congratulations. If you don't know Hallie Bailey, she is the sister of Chloe Bailey. And these amazing, amazing women make an amazing duo that, you know, the likes of which we've never seen. I mean, their sound is so beautiful. It's so tranquil. It's so, it, it, it really harkens to the days of Disney Renaissance, to be quite honest, which which is so amazingly why Holly Bailey is the second best option for a Black Ariel. I mean, of course, <laughs> they missed out on me. <laughs> but uh, if you couldn't get me, she's definitely the best option. I mean, the girl is amazingly talented. The woman is amazingly talented. They've been on the scene since they were in their late teens. Um, honestly, um, even before then. But uh, the first time I ever heard of her, it was because she was going to be playing Hallie. Um, um, she was going to be playing um, Ariel. And the live action, um, it was announced in 2019. I actually want to start off with that announcement um, with an article that um, is titled, Disney's Freeform, the original voice of the Little Mermaid and other actors defend casting a black actress as Ariel. And this is through CBS News by a Caitlin O'Kane, July 9th, 2019. Disney is creating a new live action version of their animated classic, The Little Mermaid Movie. And Hallie Bailey has been chosen to play Ariel. Some fans, criticized Disney for casting a Black actress in the lead role. Disney's rebuttal? Mermaids aren't one race or another. They aren't even real. <laughs> Disney's teen-centric cable channel, Freeform, defended its parent company's casting decision. Yes, the, author, the original author of The Little Mermaid was Danish. Ariel is a mermaid. Freeform posted on Instagram. She lives in an underwater, king, underwater kingdom in, the, in international waters and can legit swim wherever she wants, even through the often <laughs> ups, even though that often upsets King Triton, uh, absolute zaddy. 
While building long posts had some uh, tongue-in-cheek elements, Freeform was making a statement to critics. But for the sake of argument, let's say that Ariel too is Danish. Danish mermaids can be black because Danish people can be black. Freeform's posts continue. Ariel can sneak up to the surface at any time with her pals, excuse me, pals scuttle and the <laughs> Jamaican crab Sebastian, sorry Flounder, and keep that bronze base tight. <laughs> Black Danish people and their merfolk can also genetically have red hair. So, you know, it's it's, it's clearly very tongue-in-cheek, very facetious in this post. But, I mean, that's real talk. And, and let's be real for a second, you know. She was originally drawn in the style of a white, red-headed Danish girl, you know, with dramatically red hair. Um so what you know what i'm saying like so what no one had a problem when gods of egypt came out gods of egypt which was basically a live action remake of the prince of egypt you know a dreamworks production that was um that still to this day cannot even be rivaled even by its you know um sequel uh, Joseph, or uh, but it was about a whole other story. Uh, Joseph, uh, King of Dreams, about Joseph and the Technicolor Dream, uh, you know. And um, when Gods of Egypt came out, it was a mess. I was very upset looking at the previews because I, every single person in the movie of note, um, just about, was depicted as a white person with you know, ridiculous makeup woman um, in, with an Egyptian theme to the makeup and to the dress and, you know, things like that. And it, it was just really messed up because it was like, you know, here we grew up on an amazing uh, um, movie, an amazing animated movie that was a Christian movie that's a Christian movie about, you know, the true biblical stories and with de depicting the people as they would have existed and as they would have appeared. You know, the true Israelites, the true Hebrews, the true uh, Egyptians, Kemetans. Movie came out in 1998. It's an hour and 39 minutes long, uh, and it is—it's um, an amazing movie. It's got an amazing score or soundtrack that was produced by the likes of, um, graced by the likes of. Um, uh, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Mary J. Blige, you know, and it's just amazing that, you know, in the 90s, they were able to come out with a movie that was so factual, it was so based on, you know, rooted in truth and based in reality, you know, and, um, it peaked at number one on the Billboard magazines, the entire soundtrack for this movie, um, with the opening number, Deliver Us, <laughs> serving to show the violence and hardships endured by the Hebrew slaves and the despair of Moses' mother. You know, I always relate it to that song um, because my mother used to sing me lullabies before uh, custody was taken from her um, when I was three and my brother was four or so. So, um, you know, Every time she sang the um, 
Aktiva, Gerati child, my son, I have nothing I can give but the chance that you may leave. I pray we'll meet again if you will come reminds me of um, the lullabies my mom used to make up for us but um, yeah it's just crazy and um, and also having to say goodbye to her and having only those lullabies to remember her by it's just so crazy because it's like I see the movie and there were so many elements of that in the movie you know Moses is remembering um, just from you know his sister as an adult at this point the first time he's seen her since he was a baby and she was a toddler you know um, or an adolescent like you know um, singing this song that their mother sang to them that she even helped sing to him you know when she was sending him off on the river so you know here they come out with this prince of, this gods of Egypt movie and it was somewhere in the mid 2000s and it was so appalling and I'm so glad that it did not do well because no one understood, no one, you know, wanted to understand what I was saying when it came to, or acknowledge what I was saying when it came to the race, um, the whitewashing of the people. You know, when they made that movie about Stonewall and the Stonewall riots, you know, they, um, they, um, shape-shifted and morphed in that and, and whitewashed the, the, the original characters in that and people in that as well with characters who were white you know um when you know they depicted when they um uh, the whole matrix saga was stolen ripped off of a black woman who has sued and won um um recompense or compensation for um uh reparation for what they stole from her so you know it's just crazy when you see now that the roles have switched and they make you know let's be real about it what white woman who is still young enough to be depicted as a teenage girl around the age of 14 years old, 16 years old, you know, when we're thinking about Cartoon Disney, what, you know, because Cartoon Disney always, even though they were 14 or 16 or whatever, they looked like they were older. What movie, or excuse me, what white girl um, in this day and age who's famous like Halle Bailey, you know, has the same level of accomplishment and acclaim as Halle Berry, Halle Bailey, um, can sound like that. Can tear up, can you feel the love tonight the way she did at Disney World when she, <laughs> who can do it? Who can do it? Like, I know I can, but I'm not white, you know? Who can do it? And I'm not saying white girls can't sing or there's no white girl out here who can sing like that right now or can, um, you know, pull out some Jody Benson, Dumbelina, or, um, you know, Little, Little Mermaid singing, but who can do it on the level that Halle Bailey can do it? And who's known for it? Halle Bailey is literally known for it. The, the moment that I learned about her was when I learned about her playing this role. And immediately, of course, you know, this is my favorite Disney character, favorite Disney princess, favorite Disney movie of all time, you know? 
Of course, you know I had to immediately look up and see how she sings. The woman's voice is immaculate. It's bubbly, it's whimsical. The director actually of the movie defended her um, by saying, you know, Ariel has to have um, a stubborn, a stubborn tenacity for adventure, but still an innocence to her. Um, her voice has to be whimsical and bubbly, yet um, executed, you know, flawlessly and um, professionally. You know, um, she needs to be able to not just carry a tune, but completely turn what almost seems like, you know, a, 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 a speaking to you kind of song into a masterpiece, a classically trained masterpiece, you know, a classical masterpiece. Halle Berry has the ability to do all of that and then Halle Bailey is amazing. So the article goes on to read. Freeform then stated the obvious, sarcastically calling it a spoil alert. The character of Ariel is a work of fiction. The post continues, so after all this is said and done, and you still cannot get past the idea that choosing the incredible, sensational, highly talented, gorgeous Halle Bailey is anything other than the inspired casting that it, that it is because she doesn't look like the cartoon one. Oh boy, do I have some news for you dot 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 about you who was who was being super cheeky somebody was being very cheeky <laughs> 19 year old at the time holly bailey um one half of the singing duo chloe and holly um received support from several celebrities including joni benson the original voice of ariel who voiced ariel in disney's 1989 animated the little mermaid uh, while speaking at the Florida Supercon convention, Benson defended Disney's casting choice. The most important thing is to tell the story, she said, according to comicbook.com. Comic As a family, we have raised our children in for ourselves that we do not see anything that's different on the outside. I think that the spirit of a character is what really matters, Benson continued. What you bring to the table in a character as far as their heart in their spirit is what really counts. The singer and actress then said she could have been judged as well. Let's face it, I'm really, really old. And so when I'm singing part of your world, if you were to judge me on the way that I look on the outside, it might change the way that you interpret the song, she said. But if you close your eyes, you can still hear the spirit of Ariel. And this is all so true. You know, this is what people need to get into the spirit of the Disney movie. This is what it's all about. It doesn't matter how old the person who plays the lady who sits behind the desk in Mark Monsters Incorporated is with the raspy, crackly voice and um, the complete nonchalance and <laughs> no fuck around attitude. You know, as long as she can sound like, did you file your paperwork, Wazowski? You never fire your paperwork. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm watching you as an Always watching. Always. If she can sound like that, or he can sound like that, cast them.
why are people upset? Well, because originally Ariel is depicted as a super redhead, as in like her hair is actually red, not just ginger, and um, very pale, beautiful, uh, blue-eyed uh, Nordic girl, you know, Nordic mermaid girl. So, you know, people feel that something's being stolen from them all of a sudden, despite all of these years of cultural appropriation and whitewashing of our films. And even films when they don't whitewash the people, um, the characters themselves, they uh, like when they can't, like a Harriet story, um, the, the movie Harriet that came out several years ago, um, then they will turn around and whitewash the story itself and make it um, more appealing to white audiences who don't want to deal with the actual truth of the history of slavery. But, um, so I guess from that argument, you could pull that the aesthetics, you know, if you get it down to a base level, the, the aesthetics of Halle Bailey um, do not match the aesthetics of this particular Disney princess of the Disney Renaissance. Well, what is Disney remaking? The majority of the live action remakes are from the Disney Renaissance. If you don't know, the Disney Renaissance is from 1989, which started with, uh, you know, Ariel. She, she reigned it all in. Or she, she, she ushered it all in. Um, started with 1999, uh, excuse me, 1989, uh, The Little Mermaid, um, and ended in 1999 or so. Um, after Toy Story, Mulan, Tarzan, Beauty and the Beast, um, Aladdin, Hercules, you know, the Disney princesses we know and love who will go down in history forever and never be forgotten. Um, I don't want to burst too many people's bubbles, but first I'll start with the question, have you ever noticed similarities between those Disney princesses? Then I'll just go into it. Every Disney princess since the Disney Renaissance, um, but really especially within the Disney Renaissance, that 10 year period, was drawn identical to the one who ushered it in, Ariel. When Ariel was created and The Little Mermaid generated such amazing success, they knew they had a formula and they did not want to do anything but stick to it. So they embarked on creating uh, Disney princesses within every single one of their tales thereafter that would resemble Ariel almost to a T. Facial features, phenotypes, big eyes, small chins, um, big heads, small bodies, you know? And there you have it. So if we're talking about she doesn't look like uh, Ariel, number one, she does, actually. And it even shocks me, but she does. And number two, um, what are we talking about? Every single Disney princess looks the same. Does the one who, does the woman who played in the most recent live action Cinderella from the early 2010s um, to mid 2010s, does she, 
resemble Emma Watson? Does Emma Watson resemble woman who played um, Jasmine in Aladdin, the live action. No, because these women were supposed to look different and they were supposed to bring out what you see when you see those characters. What you see when you see Jasmine is an Indian girl, an Indian woman. What you see when you see uh, Belle, despite the fact that they are drawn almost identically, is a French woman with some attitude, some sass, and some class, (laughs) you know? So, if you're arguing that she doesn't look like her because she's a black woman and she has a big nose and she has big lips and she has big eyes, everything uh, except the nose on Ariel was big as well in in those categories. The lips, the eyes, her hair, her hair was big because she was underwater, and um, um, because Chloe, excuse me, Holly Bailey has dreads, her hair is her hair is big as well. She's a great size. Her voice is perfect. The symmetry is just beyond. It's absolutely beyond. You know, the fact that Jodie Benson herself had to come out and show you all the juxtaposition between what you're doing, uh, you all being against Halle Bailey for her race, uh, and people possibly hypothetically being against her, Jodie Benson, the original Ariel voice, for her age. Jodie Benson, when she played Ariel, was substantially older than a 16, 14-year-old girl. But no one else could have done that than the voice who also graced our screens in Thumbelina as the princess. You know, as Thumbelina herself. You know, no one else could have done that but Jodie Benson. And it resonates the way that it does and that it's meant to. I don't know if you know, but Pat Carroll, the woman who voiced Ursula, is no longer with us. Um, She passed away a few days ago, about a week ago, on the 30th of last month, July. And I'm very saddened by this. It's just really messed up. 2022, honestly, the the 2020s, we're just losing a lot of them. Uh, But, you know, she was epic. The woman was epic. I'm about to go through her whole career and learn more about her and things like that, but this woman was literally the be-all, end-all when it came to her category of a lot of things. The woman is just epic. I mean, so she voiced Ursula, and even though she is the one who brought all of that lively character and talent um, vocally to the role, all she could contribute were 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 the vocals and somewhat the aesthetics because they always try to draw the character to look a little bit like the voice actress or actor. But Ursula, before they even picked Pat Carroll to do the voice, they had to come up with the concept of Ursula. And for that, they used the template of 
Lady Divine. Lady Divine is a, um, or was a, an amazing um, a drag queen. And um, she um, was back in the 80s, I believe. And um, she also just went by Divine. And um, uh, he was better known uh, by his stage name, Divine, um, an American actor, singer, and drag queen closely associated with uh, independent filmmaker John Waters. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think he's the guy who made that movie, Pink, Pink Flamingos, which was ridiculous. I mean, like, the movie is just ridiculous. But um, he passed away in 1988, um, was born in 1945. Oh, wow, he's a Libra, October 19th. But, um, you know, it's just really crazy because um, the outlandishness of Divine's personality, I mean, it's just, it can't be matched. And there are so many pictures, like, you can literally see exactly how they based this character, Ursula, off of him in his drive. It's just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. The body, the shape, the uh, the eye makeup, the face—it's crazy. And, and and Ursula really did change a lot um, for Disney when it came to villains. I mean, like it—it's it, just—it's a whole nother. It's a whole nother story when you think about what Ursula did for the remake of Disney in the start of the um, in the start of the uh, Disney Renaissance era. There's a comic through, excuse me, uh, an article through ComicBook.com that reads: It's titled "Disney's Live Action Little Mermaid Makes Major Change to Ursula." So. I haven't really gotten into this. This is something new that I came across while making this episode. Disney's live action, The Little Mermaid, is making a big change to the iconic villain of the story, Ursula. Tucked into Deadline's report that Jessica Alexander has joined the cast of the upcoming adaptation in an undisclosed role uh, was a description of Melissa McCarthy's Ursula as being Ariel's Halle Bailey aunt. Um, Fans of the animated uh, The Little Mermaid will recall that in the film, Ursula was a sea witch determined to sabotage Ariel in order to replace her father, King Triton, as ruler over the seas. What's interesting about this shift- shows off the mother box sequence, the rut. Sorry about that. What's interesting about this shift in Ursula's relationship to Ariel is that it's something that was considered for the animated classic. Um, so, Going all the way back to Hans Christian Andersen's classic fairy tale, the then unnamed sea witch character isn't especially prominent in the story, something the animated adaptation shifted that um, a bit. Um, sorry, there's a typo in here. Shifted a bit, giving her an expanded role in her iconic name. Part of that 
was the idea that there was a fractured familiar relationship between King Triton and Ursula, though it was a concept that was ultimately abandoned. And it's crazy that we think about this because um, I always just thought that was the case. Like the way she talked about how she used to be in the palace and she lived lavishly and until, you know, um, she did something that um, wasn't really approved of by King Triton and he banished her and all kinds of stuff. I knew that backstory. So um, it's kind of crazy that they never really flashed it out, even though I always kind of felt that that was the case. Um, However, there are still hints in the animated film that there is a history between Ursula and Triton, with Ursula even referring to having lived in the palace at some time in the past. Yes. In the live action, you can tell this is my favorite Disney. <laughs> I know everything about it. In the live action, The Little Mermaid does, um, if it restores the family relationship between Ariel and Ursula, it will be interesting to see how that changes the villain protagonist uh, dynamic. And then even in the second movie, um, Ariel's daughter, Melody, refers to, uh, or um, ends up meeting um, Morgana. And Morgana is, um, she keeps referring to herself as her aunt, you know, as Melody's aunt. You know, your, your big aunt, your, your aunt Morgana, and so and so and so and so. And it's crazy because you can clearly see the dynamic even in the beginning of the movie when she comes in as the villain she is to try to kidnap melody like she really is you know she does seem like that estranged aunt who's like you know evil like i have evil people in my family so like i can easily see that dynamic where you have like the evil stepmom or the evil um in this case aunt estranged aunt who, you know, has it out for you and your daddy. And, you know, she always treats you as if you're, you're shit, you know? So that's a really cool uh, thing that they might be exploring. But what I was really trying to get to was an article through the LA Times, how Ursula and the Little Mermaid changed Disney history in more ways than one. And this was produced by Tracy Brown, staff writer with the LA Times. You can describe The Little Mermaid's Ursula as an ambitious villainous uh, octopus-like sea witch. Uh, but Pat Carroll would disagree with you at least uh, on at least one point. Excuse me. Carroll, who died Saturday at 95 years old, long maintained that the spellbinding Disney icon she first voiced in the 1989 animated feature is a squid. Many people call her an octopus, and I'm so knowledgeable, um, I have to correct them. <laughs> Carol explained in the documentary, Treasures Untold, The Making of Disney's The Little Mermaid. Um, she's not an octopus, she's a squid. She has six tentacles instead of eight. Uh, the cephalopod that Ursula embodies may be uh, debatable, but her legacy is undeniable. The larger-than-life character is a key piece of the magic that propelled The Little Mermaid's success and its ascent into the pantheon of Disney animated classics. A commercial and critical head, The Little Mermaid changed the trajectory of Disney animation, uh, excuse me, of animation at the studio and ushered in 
I used that word earlier, a new golden age of animated features now known as the Disney Renaissance. That's exactly how I described it. Beyond that, Little Mermaid and the beloved Campy Ursula are also a reflection of Disney's complicated queer canon. It's a history of films with themes and villains coded queer through subtext and often troubling stereotypes on the other hand, and the contributions of often unsung LGBTQ creatives on the other. Disney's sordid history is rooted in animation. The studios, I'm sorry you guys, I have like two or three gnats that just keep running around my dog's own apartment, like zipping around, it, it's ridiculous, they're killing me. Um, the studio's first for foray into feature-length films was 1937's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which broke new ground for animated storytelling. For decades, the studio released animated films that are now considered classics, including Pinocchio in 1940, Cinderella in 1950, Peter Pan in 53, Sleeping Beauty in 59, and The Jungle Book in 67. But by the 1980s, when writer directors uh, John Musker and Ron Clements uh, began work on The Little Mermaid, the success and cultural for uh, footprint of Disney's feature animation had begun to wane. So much so that the animation department had been moved off to the studio's Burbank and, uh, uh, into trailers and warehouses in nearby Glendale. Oh my gosh. Among the stars that aligned for The Little Mermaid uh, is the involvement of producer Howard Ashman. The gay playwright and lyricist envisioned the fairy tale adaptation akin to a Broadway musical and tapped into uh, and tapped his collaborator, Alan Menken, to help write songs and compose the score of the film. The most direct reading of The Little Mermaid about a 16-year-old princess who gives up everything, including her voice, for a chance at happily ever after with a prince she falls for at first sight, has long been recognized as painfully heteronormative and plenty problematic. She's 16. She doesn't already uh, actually know the prince. She's 16. But the story about a teen who feels uh, like an outsider in her own home, falling in love with someone she isn't supposed to while she longs to feel accepted and belong somewhere she believes is beyond her reach, has resonated with generations of queer fans. The queer subtext feels particularly poignant after understanding that LGBTQ artists like Ashman have a hand in bringing Ariel's story to life. Then there's Ursula, who is not only flashy and flamboyant, but also understands the power of transformation and performance, as well as body language as well as body language. <laughs> then then I'm talked on like a lot of <laughs> You all have got to listen to Poor Unfortunate Souls, um, Lynn Ferguson through YouTube. It's amazing. Um, it's my tribute to Pat Carroll, rest in peace. Um, and a woman's voice. She's funny, oozes confidence, and in her own way, plots against the traditions of the establishment. She's easily one of the most charismatic characters in the movie, even if she is evil. And while the tendency to use queer stereotypes to project um, otherness onto a villain has long been a problematic feature of Hollywood movies, Ursula rings a bit different. Ursula's design is modeled after Divine, the drag performer best known for working with queer 
filmmaker John Walters. And Carol has mentioned in interviews that she matched her performance of Ursula to Ashman's after watching his rendition of the Sea Witches song, Poor Unfortunate Souls. Ursula is a reminder that LGBTQ creatives and influences have long been a part of Disney's history, even when the queer representation wasn't visible. So wait, let me go back and read this. Carol has mentioned in interviews that she matched her performance of Ursula to Ashman's after watching his rendition of The Sea Witch's song, Poor Unfortunate Souls. Wow. That is crazy. So she really did not concoct that song the way that she did. You know, we give her all this credit. <coughs> and she really, I mean, she did an amazing job. And no one else could do it the way she did it. She was supposed to do it. But to know that she did not just look at his character and then make the song based on what she thought his character would do. She literally had a template, a vocal template, a musical template from him. It goes on to read, The Little Mermaid went on to win Academy Awards for original song and score and reestablished the significance of feature animation at the studio. The film, as well as Ashman's influence, is now credited with launching the Disney Renaissance, a period of acclaimed animated musical adaptations that is still creatively mined for everything from theme park rides to live action films. While characters like Ursula have embraced have been embraced by queer fans, it's now understood that regulating, uh, relegating queer and queer-coded characters to roles as villains and punchlines, or punchlines, is harmful. Queer audiences and advocates have increasingly pushed for more meaningful LGBTQ representation in TV and film, particularly in children's programming. Carol's death uh, is a moment not only to appreciate her unforgettable work and but also for queer fans and allies to continue to expect more from studios like disney rather than return again and again to the same handful of classics after all disney needs the encouragement more than 30 years since ursula and little mermaid's debut the company's animated features have made minimal progress overall in terms of lgbtq representation especially compared to queer representation in tv animation if only ursula ursula had a spell for that so that was a great um article it was very insightful and you know you just learn more and more every time you read but i'm really excited for the movie i wanted to bring you all a little bit of behind the scenes information um about the movie the original before the live action comes out and um just share my excitement and i look forward to seeing it and giving a review so until next time stay tuned Jasmine of Aladdin in the cartoon, um, or excuse me, um, yes, in the cartoon, you think of a uh, an Arabian woman, or excuse me, an Arab woman. Um, you don't think of an Indian woman. Well, you may think of an, <laughs> an Indian woman like I do um, a lot of the time, but um, I have to correct myself. It uh, would be uh, correct to say that you think of 
an Arab woman. Um, I wanted to make that correct correction. And by the way, there is an additional little fun fact that I wanted to throw in there. If you've never seen, a lot of people have never even seen the second Little Mermaid movie cartoon, which it's not, it's not amazing, but it is great. It's nowhere near the same caliber as the original, obviously. Um, but there is a third movie that a lot of people really don't even know about. And it was so horrible and low budget and poor quality, such poor quality. But um, it does give you some insight um, um, for um, uh, regarding Ariel's mother and how she died. And basically, she was, it, it, it explains why King Triton is so upset with Ariel for going up to the human world and collecting these things. Aren't they neat? <laughs> like, he was trying to keep her safe because her mother was captured and um, by humans and um, she was killed. By those same humans and she used to go up on shore and she was very friendly with them as well and she wasn't lusting after them she you know loved king triton but um you know she's just friendly she had an amazing voice she sang and um that was why um a lot of those things she passed down to ariel before ariel could even comprehend what was happening and um, unfortunately, she did pass away when Ariel was like very, very little, a baby. So, but this would be the actual conclusion of the episode. Stay tuned.